trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Hey, if you're first time wrong thinker, first of all, I would like to congratulate you for finding the courage to make your feet move in the direction that uh, takes you outside of the boundaries of approved opinion. That's not something everybody's willing to do. So, you know, it takes a little bit of guts for you to start thinking outside the box, questioning the narrative, thinking clearly and independently about the world around us. In fact, such things are very openly discouraged. Perhaps you've noticed we even have helpful fact checkers <laughs> that will keep us, you know, on course. No, 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 don't go over there. Don't look that way, citizen. There's nothing to see there. Just, you know, keep keep believing what you are being told by various official sources. Well, I'm about none of that. I'm not about telling you what to think, mind you. I'm just, I'm about uh, encouraging you really question what you're being told, especially what you're being told through official sources, through legacy media, and so forth. It's no exaggeration to say we live in very interesting times. Some would say troubled times. And yeah, there's definitely a number of overlapping crises that are making things, uh, you know, fascinating, to put it mildly. But it's so important that you and I assert our ability to think for ourselves rather than become somebody else's pawn to be moved about on a chessboard of their choosing. Making yourself an unplayable piece, it's a pretty revolutionary thing. So, I welcome you to the show. I've got some wonderful sponsors who make it possible for me to do what I do on a daily basis. I have a special link to each one of them in my daily show notes, which you can find at thebryanhydeshow.com. Those sponsors include hslammo.com, monticellocollege.org, lifesavingfood.com, and Garage Door Pros, who you can reach at garagedoorproservices.com. So I'm going to start by adding a word to your vocabulary, you know, so we can sound all smart and stuff. You ready for this? Cacistocracy. I know. It's, now, is this an acceptable word? Can we say this around women and kids? Absolutely. What it means is governed by the worst or government by the worst. And I've got a great article here from Dan Sanchez from the Foundation for Economic Education asking, are we living under a cacistocracy government by the worst? And if so, what should we do about it? He says, in 1787, as Benjamin Franklin left the final session of the Constitutional Convention, he was asked what form of government the delegates had given America. You know the answer, he said, a republic if you can keep it. Well, here's the spoiler alert. We didn't. Oh, sorry. In 1963, Leonard Reed warned Americans that our once upon a time republic was degenerating into something else. Reed wrote, we are headed into a cacistocracy. Now, that means government by the worst. And Reed particularly liked James Russell Lowell's definition, a government for the benefit of knaves at the cost of fools. Looking at the state of America today, Dan Sanchez says, we seem to be subject to the cacistocracy that Reed foresaw. And here's an example of what that looks like. Those holding the highest offices tend to be venal, abusive, and incompetent in their official conduct. And <clears throat> they're frequently revealed to be dissolute, sometimes heinous, in their personal lives. 
And the masses who foolishly elevated such people to power have paid dearly for it in lost liberty and tumbling living standards. So a government for the benefit of knaves at the cost of fools seems like an apt description for the state of the nation, as well as the world. Now that's an intolerable situation to be sure, and it's entirely justified to deeply resent the depredations of the the let's try this again, cacistocrats lording it over us. However, Dan Sanchez says, we should be mindful of that resentment, resentment rather lest it lead us down dark paths. And this is a good warning. Although Leonard Reed warned us of a political situation founded on knavery and foolishness, he also cautioned, quote, let us never refer to any individual as a knave or fool. This is inferiority showing through in ourselves. Everyone errs, more or less, hang labels only on notions which appear to be knavish or foolish, end quote. In other words, think of the struggle as against bad ideas and bad values more so than bad people. Now, such a practice may seem overly gracious toward our persecutors, but that's more for our own sake than, than for theirs. Dan Sanchez says when we demonize our political adversaries and define our struggle as against bad people rather than bad ideas and values, we become susceptible <clears throat> to the temptation to ourselves embrace bad ideas and values if doing so would aid our war against the enemy class. So the more we think of others as nothing but knaves and fools, the more prone we will be to indulge in knavish and foolish behavior ourselves. So we may, for example, be tempted to endorse unjust government policies that we hope will harm our ideological enemies, to attack liberty in the name of defending it. But the more we do that, the more we become what we hate. By the way, I think Antifa is probably the best example of what that principle looks like in action. We are fighting fascism and fascists. See, they're more fighting fascists. In fact, that's what they say. We go out, we, we bash fascists. Well, how do you do it? We go out and act like fascists. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> and then there's this wonderful quote that Dan uses from Alexander Solzhenitsyn about how the line separating good and evil passes not through states nor between classes nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. Even within hearts overwhelmed by evil, one small bridgehead of good is retained. And even in the best of all hearts, there remains an uprooted small corner of evil. So Dan Sanchez says, first and foremost, we must guard against cacistocracy within ourselves as individuals, against letting ourselves be governed by our worst impulses, against the tyranny of the knave and the fool that each of us harbors more or less. As Reed argued, the only way to overthrow one cacistocracy without merely replacing it with another is a rebirth of a natural aristocracy. That's a notion he adopted from Thomas Jefferson. Now, by this, he didn't mean a ruling class enjoying government privilege, but individuals of virtue and talent who lead by example. Reed wrote, when a society is graced with a first-rate aristocracy, men of virtues and talents serving as exemplary models, foolish and knavish notions are held in abeyance. Why? Because people fear appearing as fools or knaves before those held in high esteem. This is why Reed preached that the struggle for liberty was primarily a struggle for self-improvement that must be waged by each individual lover of liberty, especially learning to understand and explain why freedom works. 
Reed asked, when and to what extent will you or I strive for this required exemplarity? Becoming an aristocrat. This and this alone is all any person can do toward ridding the world of cacistocracy. Now, Dan Sanchez reminds us, look, liberty's under siege, so are our livelihoods, and in some cases, our very lives. Under such dire circumstances, it can be easy to develop a siege mentality. Sometimes in the fog of political war, even defenders of liberty can lose sight of what we're fighting for in the first place. But focusing on principles over personalities will help us keep our eye on the ball and keep us advancing toward a victory actually worth having. And you know, I've I've been in this fight myself for quite some time. Just, you know, it's I've been trying to think what can we do? And I've been trying to learn for at least the last 20, 25 years What can I do to make a difference? The best thinkers that I've encountered over that time, and I'm talking from thinkers like Dan Sanchez and Leonard Reed and Alexander Solzhenitsyn and a host of others, all seem to come together on this one point, and that is focus on improving yourself. One of my favorite thinkers today, even though he's not everybody's cup of tea, is a guy named Andy Frazella. Andy drops the F-bomb with abandon. I mean, he, he... He punctuates with swear words. And that's just, he was raised in a pretty rough environment. And I have learned to to let his swear words bounce off me because the man speaks an incredible amount of truth. But that's one of the truths he has come to as well. The most revolutionary thing you can do, the one really supreme act of rebellion you can do against a, a, a system that is trying to rule every single aspect of your life is to become the most excellent person you can become. Not just in terms of your financial well-being and, you know, your business daring do, but in terms of your character. The kind of person who will step up and do hard things and and move forward with courage when everybody else is hanging back going, oh, I don't know, this could be risky. The kind of person who can speak the truth, even if their voice shakes. The kind of person who can be counted on to do the right thing especially when doing the right thing is the hardest thing to do. So I believe there's something to that. I'll let you take some time to process it. In the meantime, there's a link to Dan Sanchez's article in my show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Yep, offer society one improved unit, as Albert J. Nock would recommend. And you have improved society, measurably. Just don't discount the effect that your example is going to have on others. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'd like to take a moment here to recognize Garage Door Pros. Just had a chance to talk to Seth, who's the owner of this wonderful company, uh, yesterday. And I'm going to have Seth come on the show. And we're, we're probably not going to spend a lot of time talking about garage doors, but I just want you to meet Seth because he is a super interesting guy. And his company is a company that I think you need to know about, particularly if you are one of my listeners who lives in the southwest corner of Utah, St. George, Cedar City, Mesquite, Colorado City, in that area. This is a company that I would encourage you to reach out to if you have any kind of garage door needs, installation, service, repair. Trust me, those of you with kids that are learning to drive sometimes, 
the garage door is, is where that learning curve gets the steepest. Nonetheless, Garage Door Pros is your local company. Quick response, faster lead time than other companies can give you. By the way, they have insulated garage doors. I don't know if you... Uh, some people, because of storage concerns, you know, space concerns, end up trying to keep their food storage in their garage, which, you know, that's great. Unless, of course, your garage is uh, not uh, insulated in any way, in which case heat can do you some, you know, very big disservices. Talk to my friends at Garage Door Pros. Call 435-525-2773 or follow the link I provide in my show notes and go to garagedoorproservices.com. So watching things fall apart that we've taken for granted can be pretty disconcerting. I find myself having that conversation with family and with friends on a pretty consistent basis. And people are at various stages of, well, you know, is it really happening to, I can't believe what I'm seeing and the things that we took for granted as, you know, just a basic example. People used to very readily understand what a man is and what a woman is. We didn't have this manufactured controversy and, and doubt and, and this insistence that you can't acknowledge reality. I mean, even Merriam-Webster, the dictionary, has changed its definition of a woman to fit the new woke, detached from reality, definition. I don't know the reasons why, but I know that can be a little bit unsettling. So I've got an article here from J.B. Shirk writing for, into, or not intellectual, but uh, AmericanThinker.com. Thank you. Freedom is worth the fight. And I love what he has to say here, so much so that I wanted to share this with you. J.B. Shirk says, a, family, a friend rather, whose family had farmed the land for many generations once turned to me in the middle of a sweet cornfield and said he couldn't imagine living in a place where it wasn't possible, possible for him to get out of bed, walk outside, buck naked, and start firing off rounds without consequence. <laughs> I don't know what your definition of freedom is, but I would say, yeah, that's, that's a person who lives in a pretty free situation. Uh, J.B. Shirk says, I nodded in, in agreement and reminded him that I'd be there before sunup the next morning. The laugh we shared was a nice respite under the baking sun, but he says, his words have always stuck with me. I swear, as I've learned, I've learned as much in a cornfield in a, in a classroom. Maybe hard work and a connection to nature help purify the soul and elevate introspection. Because he says, what my friend was describing, of course, is what we call freedom. And time after time in my journeys through life, I've stopped in my tracks to realize that I'd sacrificed the freedom of the cornfields for the artificial prisons society likes to construct. Now, those are surreal moments when the mind of a farmer philosopher kicks in and asks, why am I working so hard to lock myself up? Now, if you don't have a good answer to that question, then it's time to take a step back and choose a new direction. No price is too high to pay, after all, for the privilege of owning yourself. Now, I feel like I need to say this just to be clear. J.B. Shirk here is not endorsing irresponsible behavior. But his point is well taken. Much of the, the lack of freedom that we find ourselves in is something that we have voluntarily chosen to be a part of. We have been convinced to construct our own mental prisons. In fact, we're encouraged to build them every single day. And it seems like there just aren't that many people who realize, I don't have to do this, or I, I don't have to go along with it. I wonder why it's so hard to recognize. Back to, to J.B. Shirk's article. He says, freedom to me is not just some romantic notion that brings a fleeting, dreamy peace. It's everything. 
It is a profound gift from God to use art to our fullest abilities during our time on earth. We are free to lead moral lives or to chase devilish pursuits. We are free to nurture our innate talents and discover our true callings or to forfeit those gifts until they vanish. We are free to liberate the oppressed or to become the oppressors. We are free to defend our freedom or to surrender to those who wish to take it from us. We are free to recognize our personal agency or to, re to relish the intoxicating allure of victimhood. We are free to decide whether this life belongs to us or to those who wish us to do their bidding. We are free, in other words, to accept the gift God has given us or to turn it down. That's our choice. We are not ones and zeros that can be filtered and manipulated according to the algorithmic designs of the World Economic Forum's central planners. We're human beings with souls created by the only real central planner who matters. And J.B. Shirk says a lot of what's happening today is quite disconcerting for people. We're in one of those periods in human history when things that have long existed are falling apart and things that will take their place have not yet been built. There's a general awareness that the world is not all right and the older and more experienced are acutely aware that peace and freedom are under attack. In other words, they are intently aware that God is under attack because after all, peace and freedom are his to give. Now by saying that out loud, he asks, what do the, do the odds against you really seem so daunting? Oh, what a great thought. In a battle between the New World Order communists and God, whose side do you think is going to prevail? Well, then it's really no surprise that the neo-Marxists are destroying the, wor the world today work so hard to belittle God, is it? For when people remember his presence, then globalism always looks small. In contrast, globalism looks all-powerful when the all-powerful is ignored. Do you see how our enemies use an illusion to make us feel weak? Do you understand why a great reset intended to conquer the world must first rid the world of God? Do you grasp why those without spiritual conviction have become disciples of false prophets promising hollow salvation? Trust us to control all economic relations and we'll save you from catastrophic climate change, killing the planet. Trust us to feed, clothe, and shelter you and they promise all you have to do is give your obedience. Trust us to keep you safe from disease, they demand, because compliance with our mandates and mass surveillance will one day set you free. They promise life, but give death. They promise happiness, but spread misery. They promise freedom, but it deliver enslavement. These are the people who've gotten together to fundamentally transform the world into their own image. And when you see them for the vulgar, false gods and tyrants they truly are, then their hypnotic powers melt away. Never have so few ruled over so many on this planet as they do today. Now, J.B. Shirk says, think about that for a moment. In the fight for humanity's future, on whose side would you rather belong? Uprisings in the Netherlands, Italy, Spain, Poland, Germany, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, and Panama are already telling the tale of what's to come. The elites have had their say, and now the people will answer. Are we heading into stormy weather ahead? Yes. Should that scare us? Absolutely not. What we have approaching outside our windows is nothing new. It just feels strange because it's a conflict most of us have not seen for some time. And listen to this. The battle between freedom and control, good and evil, is not only the story of humanity, but it is also the story of existence. When it comes back around as it always does, man is tested in ways in which preceding generations were not. 
There's a line drawn in the sand, so to speak. So J.B. Shirk says, have courage, friends. It's an interesting time to be alive. All will be well. Truly, we've got this. He says, imagine yourself walking through tall, lusciously green stalks of a sea of corn, hidden from everything else in the world, save a blue sky above and the Almighty himself. Think of that peace, of that freedom. Take a deep breath. Now, protect it. There's more to this article. It's really worth your time. Check it out. It's in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. This is one you may want to share with others, too. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Gosh, I gotta admit, I'm still just reeling from that commentary in the last segment from J.B. Shirk. I've enjoyed his columns, but that one just hits home for me so hard because it just, it brings into view what the real struggle is. And it took me a long time to to realize, you know, it's not the Democrats versus the Republicans. It's not liberals versus conservatives. It's more a matter of light versus dark, meaning it is a, it's an eternal battle that's been going on forever. The battle of freedom versus compulsion. I mean, you think about the line in the sand that's drawn before us right now. On one side, you have those human beings who crave so much power, they can't imagine existing in a world where everybody's equal. In other words, they they have that need to control others. And on the other side, you have people who've long avoided power, but now have to rise to the occasion. I see this in a lot of people who are choosing to run for political office reluctantly, but doing so because they're like, I can't just sit back and do nothing. Now, the good news is politics is not the only thing that you can do, but I like how J.B. Shirk describes it. You know, one side is composed of rulers and the ruled over. The other side is blessed with virtues of the courageous. One side builds systems of control. The other side seeks to liberate. One side sells panic and fear. The other one offers truth and determination. Now, none of that minimizes what we're facing here. But he points out that no future worth winning is uh, is going to be made up of small things. It's not going to be a cakewalk. It's never been the case. Great achievements can't be had without great struggles. And sometimes only freedom lost reminds us why freedom matters and why it needs to be reclaimed. Sometimes it takes a tyrant to ignite a revolution. Sometimes it takes the wicked to steal the believer's faith. Not take it away, but to steal it, to harden it. Every few generations, the battle space is shaped for great change. Every few generations, good people gather to hold the line. Now, I could really make you uh, uncomfortable, but I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to do it. If you're listening to this program, if you're listening to this show right now, you're one of those good people. Not because you're listening to my show and that's that's the qualifier. (laughs) Congratulations. Now you're officially a good person. But I'm guessing because you wouldn't even consider a program like this. Unless truth and maybe freedom 
mattered more to you than just the comfort of being told, you know, the latest uh, comfortable lies, the latest titillating gossip or things like that. Definitely something to think about. And I know it takes it into uncomfortable territory because that means um, sitting on the sidelines, you know, simply, you know, shouting from the stands. That's not an option. You're needed on the field. You are needed where your influence counts. And, and too often we get in our minds. What that means is you've got to make some kind of a big splash that makes national headlines or even world headlines. And who knows, maybe get you in the running for a Nobel Peace Prize or something like that. But that's not the case. I can tell you the most influential people in my life were never Nobel laureates. They were, they were simple people who took seriously that charge to be a good influence and a good example to others around them. And through their example, they helped me catch a glimpse of what really matters and helped me catch a glimpse of why <clears throat> it's okay to, to step out of the easy chair and to get in the game. Even if it means that you're going to be misunderstood sometimes, you're going to be called names. People are going to question your, motive, question your motives. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in the position where you've had people seriously lusting for the idea of, man, I wish somebody would throw you in jail. I've been there. Yeah, I've, I've seen it a number of times, actually. People, I wish Brian Hyde had gone to the Oregon Wildlife Refuge, so he would have been arrested too. <laughs> and I'm sorry to disappoint him. I mean, I'm sure my turn is, is coming at some point. Frankly, if I'm not on somebody's list somewhere, you know, I'll feel like I've really wasted my, my time. But... The most important part is if you feel that stirring that you need to be doing something, don't ignore it. Don't, don't push it back down and pretend like, well, you know, what can I do? I'm just one person. I'm, I'm really nothing, you know, important. But you are. The trouble is you just, you and I, we, we have limited vision as far as we can't see how important it is that we do whatever it is that we should be doing. And I know not everybody believes in God. Some people are, well, I only believe what I can quantify with my five senses. But for those who do believe, is there a greater divine purpose at hand here? I can tell you from firsthand experience, if you can tap into it, and it starts with, you know, taking your questions to God, asking, is there something you need me to do? Can you show me or help me recognize what it is that I could be doing to make a difference, you're going to learn, perhaps to your uh, consternation and amazement, or maybe it's going to be very comforting. You're going to realize that the answer is yes, there is something that I need you to do. And it's yours. This is your purpose, your mission, your assignment alone. You're the only one who can do it in the way that it needs to be done. But the people who do this and who tap into that sense of purpose are the people who end up making a difference that even they likely wouldn't believe. And it's not easy. But the whole point is you, you don't become a truly great person through taking the path of least resistance. And it's not like you're a bunch of water just seeking, you know, it's way downward and wherever, you know, they, it can go, it goes. The direction we're trying to move is up. 
And that's going to mean serious effort, sweat, toil, as well as disappointment and loss. And sometimes, you know, injustice. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, is it worth it? I know how I would answer that question. Now, this requires a willingness to face the truth. And I'm going to include in today's show notes an article from Ned Cosby about uh, we the people want the truth. And I love the example he gives from the movie The Right Stuff. I just had a chance to watch this movie again about a year ago. And if you remember, um, this is based on the historical, uh, you know, uh, the space program, the Mercury program. So in that movie, Flight Control in Houston gets a warning that astronaut John Glenn's Mercury capsule has a possible loose heat shield. And an anxious member of Flight Control says, well, what are we going to tell him? And astronaut Alan Shepard, who's part of Flight Control for this first orbital flight, speaks up and, speaks up and says, he's a pilot. You tell him the condition of his craft. In other words, Alan Shepard says, tell him the truth. Now, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 14 says, A wise man is hungry for truth, while the mocker feeds on trash. Think about what that means in our time. Ned Cosby says, Why should we be hungry for truth? Most of us, like John Glenn, want to know the reality of our circumstances. When we see things happening around us that we can't understand, we want to erase our ignorance with accurate information. Well, at this point in time, in 2022, there are questions hanging over America that remain unresolved. And interestingly enough, there are a lot of journalists who are supposed to bring us the facts that refuse to look into these things. Even worse, they seem to want to keep the truth from us. And he lists a few of the issues that that he feels, you know, really have have not been answered. And they include things like uh, Seth Rich's death, Jeffrey Epstein's death, where are the 12 missing pen drives from the uh, uh, July uh, 19th, 2022 primary election in Baltimore? Why do we keep sending more money to Ukraine when we're $30 trillion in debt? Why are we allowing illegal aliens to flood into this society and rewarding lawbreakers with social benefits? Why can France hold a clean nationwide election in one day, but we can't? Why are the riots of 2020 uninvestigated? But January 6th gets primetime coverage. How did the Wuhan flu get started? Why are the media so disinterested in questions about the 2020 election? And this last one, is Joe Biden mentally competent to be the president of the United States? See, the point is, all our lives we've been told, you need to tell the truth. We've been programmed to expect the truth. But reporters give us trash and call it the truth. And when we press them for the truth, well, then they really get fired up and call you racist or conspiracy theorist. Ned Cosby says, as I was foraging for the truth this morning, I came across a recent Gallup survey revealing that I'm not alone in my quest for truth. And his point is, American confidence in newspapers and television news is at an all-time low. He says, uh, apparently a lot of people are hungry for the truth, but their confidence in news outlets is very low. So if this program is part of your personal quest for truth, I want you to know I take that seriously. I will never knowingly mislead you on anything. But you're going to have to do your own homework. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'd like to give a little shout out here to HSLAmmo.com. I actually had a chance to visit with Spencer Worthington yesterday. He's the owner and founder of the company. I just can't tell you how much respect I have for Spencer on so many levels. He and I had a chance to sit down and talk a few years ago, and you know, I knew it was a good conversation. I knew I was I was learning so much from talking with him and just hearing about his life experience. And um, I didn't realize how good a talk it was until I finally realized, you know what, this waitress here at uh, the uh, uh, Black Bear Diner is really she's getting. She's getting frustrated. We apparently we'd been sitting there talking for quite some time, but uh, Spencer has a wonderful ammo company. I mentioned that to you because if you are in the market for high quality, new or remanufactured ammunition, that's the person you need to go talk to. That's the company you should be doing business with. HSLAmmo.com. I'll get Spencer back on the show, by the way, sometime soon. And you can you can actually hear for yourself some of the more interesting stories that he can share with you. And, um, man, he's got some great advice, too. Really good stuff. HSLAmmo.com. All right, couple things here in the final segment of uh, the hour here. Uh, you know, given the circus that politics in America has become, I don't guess it's very surprising that some voters are actually looking for the exits. Got an article here from Lauren Farrell. This is from AmericanGreatness.com or AmGreatness.com. Politically homeless. She has some words for you. Talking about how the battle to preserve our values can only be won by our ability to see through the deception from both sides and by holding elected officials accountable. Lauren Farrell says, I recently heard someone say she felt politically homeless. She didn't feel like she fit in with any of the parties today, and that resonated with me. In fact, she says, it summed up my own feelings perfectly. Prior to 2015, I had never been in a state of dissatisfaction with the Republican Party, but I knew I could never vote blue. Lauren Farrell says, I grew ever so tired of the chokehold that spineless rhinos had on the party. I'd grown accustomed to the establishment types and for a while wondered when or if we would find a candidate who would stand up for our beliefs and energize our party again. Then she says, I heard Donald Trump's campaign announcement. From his mouth, I heard him say all of the things I had said for years, but he said them as a candidate and in a much more forceful manner. Now, the funny thing is, most of what he said he'd been saying since the 1980s. His opinions on the issues weren't considered taboo until the media and other politicians declared them to be so. That year, 16 other candidates threw their hats in the ring with him to become the nominee. But she says there was no doubt in my mind that he would outwork them all. Now, she says, I I saw Trump as a fighter, and let's be honest, we don't see that with political figures on the right very often. And she says, although I liked many things about Trump, my favorite of all wasn't anything that he did against the left. It was that he exposed the old guard on the right. Take your pick. Lindsey Graham, Mitt Romney, Liz Cheney. The list is truly endless. It became clear that Trump was an unwelcome outsider rejected by establishment politicians from both parties. But it wasn't just the career politicians who were nervous. She says, at that time, I saw many of those close to me claiming to be hardened conservatives, but squirming in fear of what Trump would say or do next. They thought he'd get us into World War III. They thought he'd tank the economy. They wished he'd just read the script and shut up otherwise. She says, for every reason they despised him, I liked him. He was everything I adored. For once we had a candidate who stood up for himself and didn't apologize for every little thing. 
So she, she says, I guess the real question here lies with those of us on the right. Why does a brash, unapologetic candidate make so many of them nervous? She says, I see politicians on the left who can adm- I can admire or at least respect simply because they fight for what they want and they don't apologize for it. Isn't that the point? Believing in an issue and fighting like hell for it without regard to whether the words are cutting? Isn't that what our founders did? But she says, it seems that some haven't wised up to the fact that the world of politics isn't supposed to be about being polite. While those on the left run wild, becoming increasingly socialist, saying that men can get pregnant and pushing overly sexualized material on first graders, those on the right are more concerned about possibly offending someone. In these times, she says, I'm reminded of a quote by Thomas Paine, he who dares not offend cannot be honest. So for too long, she says, our core values of limited government, gun rights, legal immigration, and protecting freedom of speech have been used by too many on the right as a means to get elected and then cast aside after they win, either because they're too afraid to stand firm or they fear that these values are supposedly offensive. And she says, for me and voters like me, the days of supporting people like that are over. In fact, she says, if I've learned anything from the fire that Trump lit in the patriotic hearts of many, it's this. I no longer have to vote for weak candidates. The way for America First candidates has been paved, and if a candidate doesn't put America first or wobbles on any issue clearly stated in our Constitution, he or she will not get my vote. Party affiliation does not matter any longer. Lauren Farrell says, As Americans, we must take our voting responsibly, responsibility rather more seriously. We must alter the way we think about politics and voting, involve ourselves more in the voting process by becoming poll watchers or poll workers, research the candidates on the ballots much more thoroughly, and vote out career politicians who seek their own glory and greed above following the Constitution. She says the battle to preserve our values can only be won by our ability to see through the deception from both sides and holding elected officials accountable. Now, I know I'm, I'm more or less a political agnostic, and it's, it's uh, years of watching politicians, you know, go to, uh, you know, take office with the best of intentions, go to serve in the state capital or in the nation's capital, and then over time become part of the machinery. But I think for most people who aren't as cynical as I've become, what Lauren Farrell here is, is saying is correct. You got to take that voting responsibility more seriously. What that means to me is what you do in between elections is extremely important. How engaged are you? Now, I'm going to warn you, it's possible to become, how can I put this nicely, obsessed to the point where you're living and breathing and every waking moment is, uh, you know, I'm following this policy and that policy, whether it be what your city council or county commission or, you know, the school board is up to. And that's not to say that you should turn your back on these things. But I am going to temper what I'm suggesting here with just choose wisely. Look, each of us only has a finite amount of moral energy that we can bring to bear on any given day. So it's really important that we choose things that matter. And I realize that's going to be different from person to person. A person who farms for a living is going to be focused on things that are going to be pertinent to farming. A person who is raising kids at this moment is going to be focused on things that are very pertinent to that. So age and stage of life may play a role in in where your priorities are. 
But I would encourage you to sort out what those priorities are. So many people, and this was this was me once upon a time, so I'm I'm counting myself among the guilty here. Just like to drift along in between elections and oh look, election season's here, and look, here come the political ads. Ooh, scary, you know. Stay away from this candidate. He or she is the devil. And, you know, we we basically find ourselves standing in the voting booth looking at the names on the ballot and going, okay, which one of these gives me warm fuzzies? Which one makes me feel uh, like I'm confident I can vote for them? Without actually really knowing about who that person is, what their understanding is of, of the proper role of government or the principles and the practices on which liberty is founded. I still am a huge fan of the uh, um, caucus system. First encountered this when I was living in Utah, and, and I still think it's, it's one of the truest forms of self-governance that I know of. And for those who aren't familiar with it, I know not everybody lives there. I believe, uh, I believe here in Idaho that, that they still use a caucus system as well. You go to your neighborhood precinct. So, yeah, you may be working within the political parties, and yes, I'm registered Republican because of that, but that's only to, to ensure that whatever little influence I have is being wielded to, you know, stump for smaller government, accountable government, lower taxes, more freedom, that kind of thing. But basically, you sit down with your neighbors, and they select people to represent them at the party convention. And it's quite a thing, especially when you have neighbors who start to nominate you and say, I want you to go and represent me. Now you've got responsibility. You've got a stewardship placed on you. And when those delegates go to, uh, to support putting this candidate or that candidate on the ballot at their respective county or state conventions... They are expected to spend the time asking the tough questions, vetting those candidates, and really going into depth and understanding where they stand on various issues. It's a little microcosm of representative government, starting with the people that live right there in your own neighborhood. It's a very powerful experience. And if it's something you haven't experienced for yourself, but you have the opportunity to be a part of it, I strongly recommend do it. And if you're asked to serve, serve. But whatever you do, use that influence wisely. This is The Brian Hyde Show.